Chapter Ten of the Ivory Child by H. Rider Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, Charge. Ten minutes later, the truth was known, and every man in the camp was up and armed. At first, there were some signs of panic, but these, with the help of Babemba, we managed to control, setting the men to make the best preparations for defence that circumstances would allow, and thus occupying our minds for from the first we saw that except for the three of us who had horses escape was impossible that great camel corps could catch us within a mile leaving old babemba in charge of his soldiers we three white men and hans held a council at which i repeated every word that had passed between harut and marut and myself including their absolute denial of their having had anything to do with the disappearance of lady ragnall on the nile now i asked what is to be done my fate is sealed, since for purposes of their own, of which probably we know nothing, these people intend to take me with them to their country, as indeed they are justified in doing, since I have been fool enough to keep a kind of assignation with them here. But they don't want anybody else. Therefore there is nothing to prevent you, Ragnall, and you, Savage, and you, Hans, from returning with the Mazitu. Oh, boss, said Hans, who could understand English well enough, although he seldom spoke it. "'Why are you always bothering me with such prejudice—that is, chatter? "'Whatever you do, I will do, and I don't care what you do, except for your own sake, boss. "'If I am going to die, let me die. "'It doesn't at all matter how, since I must go soon and make report to your reverend father, the predicant. "'And now, boss, I have been awake all night, for I heard those camels coming a long while before the two spookmen appeared.' and as I have never heard camels before, could not make out what they were, for they don't walk like giraffes. So I am going to sleep, boss, there in the sun. When you have settled things, you can wake me up and give me your orders. And he suited the action to the word, for when I glanced at him again, he was, or appeared to be, slumbering, just like a dog at its master's feet. I looked at Ragnall in interrogation. I am going, he said briefly despite the denial of these men of any complicity in your wife's fate i asked if their words are true what have you got to gain by this journey ragnall an interesting experience while it lasts that is all like hans there if what they say is true my future is a matter of complete indifference to me but i do not believe a word of what they say something tells me that they know a great deal which they do not choose to repeat about my wife i mean that is why they are so anxious that I should not accompany you. You must judge for yourself, I answered doubtfully, and I hope to heaven that you are judging right. Now, Savage, what have you decided? Remember before you reply that these uncanny fellows declare that if we forego, two of us will never return. It seems impossible that they can read the future, still, without doubt, they are most uncanny. Sir, said Savage, I will take my chance. Before I left England, his lordship made a provision for my old mother, and my widowed sister and her children, and I have none other dependent upon me. Moreover, I won't return alone with those Mazitu to become a barbarian, for how could I find my way back to the coast without anyone to guide me? So I'll go on and leave the rest to God. Which is just what we have all got to do, I remarked. Well, as that is settled, let us send for Babemba and tell him. This we did accordingly. The old fellow received the news with more resignation than I had anticipated. 
Fixing his one eye upon me, he said, Macumazahan, these words are what I expected from you. Had any other man spoken them, I should have declared that he was quite mad. But I remember that I said this when you determined to visit the Pongo, and that you came back from their country safe and sound, having done wonderful things there, and that it was the Pongo who suffered, not you. So I believe it will be again, as far as you are concerned, Macumazahan, for I think that some devil goes with you who looks after his own. For the others I do not know. They must settle the matter with their own devils, or with those of the Kenda people. Now, farewell, Macumazahan, for it comes to me that we shall meet no more. Well, that happens to all at last, and it is good to have known you who are so great in your own way. Often I shall think of you as you will think of me, and hope that in a country beyond that of the Kenda I may hear from your lips all that has befallen you on this and other journeys. Now I go to withdraw my men before these white-robed Arabs come on their strange beasts to seize you, lest they should take us also, and there should be a fight in which we, being the fewer, must die. The loads are all in order, ready to be laden on their strange beasts. If they declare that the horses cannot cross the desert, leave them loose, and we will catch them and take them home with us, and, since they are male and female, breed young ones from them which shall be yours when you send for them, or Bowsy the kings if you never send. Nay, I want no more presents who have the gun and the powder and the bullets you gave me, and the tusks of ivory for Bowsy the king, and what is best of all— the memory of you and of your courage and wisdom. May these and the gods you worship befriend you. From yonder hill we will watch till we see that you have gone. Farewell. And waiting for no answer, he departed with the tears running from his solitary eye. Ten minutes later the Mazitu bearers had also saluted us and gone, leaving us seated in that deserted camp surrounded by our baggage, and so far as I was concerned, feeling most lonely. Another ten minutes went by, which we occupied in packing our personal belongings. Then Hans, who was now washing out the coffee-kettle at a little distance, looked up and said, "'Here come the spookman, boss, the whole regiment of them.' We ran and looked. It was true. Marshalled in orderly squadrons, the camels with their riders were sweeping towards us, and a fine sight the beasts made with their swaying necks and long, lurching gait. About fifty yards away they halted just where the stream from our spring entered the desert, and there proceeded to water the camels, twenty of them at a time. Two men, however, in whom I recognized Harut and Marut, walked forward and presently were standing before us, bowing obsequiously. "'Good morning, lord.' said Harut to Ragnall in his broken English. So you come with Macumazahan to call at our poor house, as we call at your fine one in England. You think we got the beautiful lady you marry. She we give old necklace. That is not so. No white lady ever in Kenderland. We hear story from Macumazahan and believe that lady drowned in Nile, for you remember she walked much in her sleep. We're very sorry for you, but gods know their business. They leave when they will leave, and take when they will take. You find her again some day, more beautiful still, and with her soul come back. Here I looked at him sharply. I had told him nothing about Lady Ragnall having lost her wits. How then did he know of the matter? 
Still, I thought it best to hold my peace. I think that Harut saw he had made some mistake, for, leaving the subject of Lady Ragnall, he went on. "'You are very welcome, O Lord, but it right to tell you this most dangerous journey, since Elephant John are not like strangers, and,' he continued slowly, "'think no elephant like your blood, and all elephants, brothers. What one hate, rest hate, everywhere in world.' See it in your face that you already suffer great hurt from elephant, you or someone near you. Also some of Kenda very fierce people and love fighting, and perhaps their war in the land while you there, and in war people get killed. Very good, my friend, said Ragnall. I am prepared to take my chance of these things. Either we all go to your country together, as Macumazahan has explained to you, or none of us go. We understand. That is our bargain, and we no break word, replied Harut. Then he turned his benevolent gaze upon Savage, and said, So you come too, Mr. Bina, that your name here, eh? Well, you learn lots things in Ganderland about snakes and all rest. Here the jovial-looking Marut whispered something into the ear of his companion, smiling all over his face and showing his white teeth as he did so. "'Oh,' went on Harut, "'my brother tells me you meet one snake already, down in country called Natal, but sit on him so hard that he grow quite flat and no bite.' "'Who told him that?' gasped Savage. "'Oh, forget. Think Macumazahan. No? Then perhaps you tell him in sleep.' for people talk much in sleep, you know, and some other people got good ears and hear long way. Or perhaps little joke Harut. You remember he first-rate conjurer. Perhaps he send that snake. No doubt if no how. Well, we show you much better snake in Kenderland, but you know sit on him, Mr. Bina. To me, I know not why, there was something horrible in all this jocosity, something that gave me the creeps, as always does the sight of a cat playing with a mouse. I felt even then that if foreshadowed terrible things, how could these men know the details of occurrences at which they were not present, and of which no one had told them? Did that strange tobacco of theirs really give them some clairvoyant power? I wondered, or had they other secret methods of obtaining news? I glanced at poor Savage, and perceived that he too felt as I did, for he had turned quite pale beneath his tan. Even Hans was affected, for he whispered to me in Dutch, "'These are not men, these are devils, Bas, and this journey of ours is one into hell.' Only Ragnall sat stern, silent, and apparently quite unmoved. Indeed, there was something almost sphinx-like about the set and expression of his handsome face. Moreover, I felt sure that Harut and Marut recognized the man's strength and determination, and that he was one with whom they must reckon seriously. Beneath all their smiles and courtesies I could read this knowledge in their eyes, also that it was causing them grave anxiety. It was as though they knew that here was one against whom their power had no avail, whose fate was the master of their fate. In a sense Harut admitted this to me, for suddenly he looked up and said in a changed voice and in Bantu, "'You are a good reader of hearts, O Macumazahan.' almost as good as I am. But remember that there is one who writes upon the book of the heart, who is the Lord of us, who do but read. 
and that what he writes that will befall strive as we may for in his hands is the future quite so i replied coolly and that is why i am going with you to kendaland and fear you not at all so it is and so let it be he answered and now lords are you ready to start for long is the road and who knows what awaits us ere we see its end yes i replied long is the road of life and who knows what awaits us ere we see its end and after three hours later i halted the splendid white riding camel upon which i was mounted and looked back from the crest of a wave of the desert there far behind us on the horizon by the help of my glasses i could make out the site of the camp we had left and even the tall ant hill whence i had gazed in the moonlight at our mysterious escort which seemed to have sprung from the desert as though by magic this was the manner of our march a mile or so ahead of us went a picket of eight or ten men mounted on the swiftest beasts doubtless to give warning of any danger next three or four hundred yards away followed a body of about fifty kenda travelling in a double line and behind these the baggage men mounted like every one else and leading behind them strings of camels laden with water provisions tents of skin and all our goods including the fifty rifles and ammunition that ragnall had brought from england then came we three white men and hans each of us riding as swift and fine a camel as africa can breed on our right at a distance of about half a mile and also on our left travelled other bodies of the kenda of the same numerical strength as that ahead while the rear was brought up by the remainder of the company who drove a number of spare camels thus we journeyed in the centre of a square whence any escape would have been impossible for i forgot to say that our keepers harut and marut rode exactly behind us at such a distance that we could call to them if we wished at first i found this method of travelling very tiring as does every one who is quite unaccustomed to camelback indeed the swing and the jolt of the swift creature beneath me seemed to wrench my bones asunder to such an extent that at the beginning i had once or twice to be lifted from the saddle when after hours of torture at length we camped for the night poor savage suffered even more than i did for the motion reduced him to a kind of jelly ragnall however who i think had ridden camels before felt little inconvenience and the same may be said of hans who rode in all sorts of positions sometimes sitting sideways like a lady and at others kneeling on the saddle like a monkey on a barrel organ also being very light and tough as rimpies the swaying motion did not seem to affect him by degrees all these troubles left us to such an extent that i could cover my fifty miles a day more or less without even feeling tired indeed i grew to like the life in that pure and sparkling desert air perhaps because it was so restful day after day we journeyed on across the endless sandy plain watching the sun rise watching it grow high watching it sink again night after night we ate our simple food with appetite and slept beneath the glittering stars till the new dawn broke in glory from the bosom of the immeasurable east we spoke but little during all this time it was as though the silence of the wilderness had got hold of us and sealed our lips or perhaps each of us was occupied with his own thoughts at any rate i know that for my part i seemed to live in a kind of dreamland thinking of the past reflecting much upon the innumerable problems of this passing show called life but not paying much heed to the future 
What did the future matter to me, who did not know whether I should have a share of it even for another month, or week, or day, surrounded as I was by the shadow of death? No, I troubled little as to any earthly future, although I admit that in this oasis of calm I reflected upon that state where past, present, and future will all be one, also that those reflections, which were in their essence a kind of unshaped prayer, brought much calm to my spirit. With a regiment of escort we had practically no communication. I think that they had been forbidden to talk to us. They were a very silent set of men, finely made, capable persons of an Arab type, light rather than dark in colour, who seemed for the most part to communicate with each other by signs or in low-muttered words. Evidently they looked upon Harut and Marut with great veneration, for any order which either of these brethren gave, if they were brethren, was obeyed without dispute or delay. Thus, when I happened to mention that I had lost a pocket-knife at one of our camping-places two days' journey back, three of them, much against my wish, were ordered to return to look for it, and did so, making no question. Eight days later they rejoined us, much exhausted and having lost a camel, but with a knife, which they handed to me with a low bow, and I confessed that I felt ashamed to take the thing. Nor did we exchange many further confidences with Harut and Marut. Up to the time of our arrival at the boundaries of the Kenda country, our only talk with them was of the incidents of travel, of where we should camp, of how far it might be to the next water, for water-holes or old wells existed in this desert, of such birds as we saw, and so forth. As to other and more important matters, a kind of truce seemed to prevail. Still I observed that they were always studying us, and especially Lord Ragnall, who rode on day after day, self-absorbed and staring straight in front of him as though he looked at something we could not see. Thus we covered hundreds of miles, not less than five hundred at the least, reckoning our progress at only thirty miles a day, including stoppages. For occasionally we stopped at the water-holes or small oases, where the camels drank and rested. Indeed, these were so conveniently arranged that I came to the conclusion that once there must have been some established route running across these wastelands to the south, of which the traditional knowledge remained with the Kenda people. If so, it had not been used for generations, for save those of one or two that had died on the outward march, we saw no skeletons of camels or other beasts, or indeed any sign of man. The place was an absolute wilderness, where nothing lived except a few small animals of the oases and the birds that passed over it in the air on their way to more fertile regions. Of these, by the way, I saw many that are known both to Europe and Africa, especially ducks and cranes, also storks that, for aught I can say, may have come from far-off homely Holland. At last the character of the country began to change. Grass appeared on its lower-lying stretches, then bushes, then occasional trees, and among the trees a few buck. Halting the caravan, I crept out and shot two of these buck with a right and left, a feat that caused our grave escort to stare in a fashion which showed me that they had never seen anything of the sort done before. That night, while we were eating the venison with relish, since it was the first fresh meat that we had tasted for many a day, I observed that the disposition of our camp was different from its common form. Thus it was smaller and placed on an eminence. Also the camels were not allowed to graze where they would as usual, but were kept within a limited area while their riders were arranged in groups outside of them. 
Further, the stores were piled near to our tents, in the centre, with guards set over them. I asked Harut and Marut, who were sharing our meal, the reason of these alterations. "'It is because we are on the borders of the Kenda country,' answered old Harut. Four days more march will bring us there, Macumazahan. "'Then why should you take precautions against your own people? Surely they will welcome you.' "'With spears, perhaps, Macumazahan, learn that the Kendal are not one but two people. As you may have heard before, we are the White Kenda, but there are also the Black Kenda, who outnumber us many times over, though in the beginning we from the north conquered them, or so says our history.' The White Kenda have their own territory, but as there is no other road to reach it, we must pass through that of the Black Kenda, where it is always possible that we may be attacked, especially as we bring strangers into the land. How is it then that the Black Kenda allow you to live at all, Harut, if they are so much more numerous? Because of fear, Macumazahan, they fear our wisdom and the decrees of the heavenly child spoken through the mouth of its oracle which if it is offended can bring a curse upon them still if they find us outside our borders they may kill us if they can as we may kill them if we find them within our borders indeed harut then it looks to me as though there were a war breeding between you a war is breeding macumazahan the last great war in which either the White Kenda or the Black Kenda must perish, or perhaps both will die together. Maybe that is the real reason why we have asked you to be our guest, Macumazahan. And, with their usual courteous bows, both of them rose and departed before I could reply. You see how it stands, I said to Ragnall. We have been brought here to fight for our friends, Harut, Marut, and company against their rebellious subjects, or rather the king who reigns jointly with them. "'It looks like it,' he replied quietly, "'but doubtless we shall find out the truth in time, and meanwhile speculation is no good. Do you go to bed, Quatermain? I will watch till midnight, and then wake you.' That night passed in safety. Next day we marched before the dawn, passing through country that grew continually better watered and more fertile, though it was still open plain, but sloping upwards ever more steeply. On this plain I saw herds of antelope, and what in the distance looked like cattle, but no human beings. Before evening we camped where there was good water and plenty of food for the camels. While the camp was being set, Harut came and invited us to follow him to the outposts, whence, he said, we should see a view. We walked with him, a matter of not more than a quarter of a mile, to the head of that rise, up which we had been travelling all day, and thence perceived one of the most glorious prospects on which my eyes have ever fallen in all great Africa. From where we stood the land sloped steeply for a matter of ten or fifteen miles, till finally the fall ended in a vast plain like to the bottom of a gigantic saucer, that I presume in some far time of the world's history was once an enormous lake. A river ran east and west across this plain, and into it fell tributaries. Far beyond this river the contours of the country rose again till, many, many miles away, there appeared a solitary hill, tumulus-shaped, which seemed to be covered with bush. Beyond and surrounding this hill was more plain, which, with the aid of my powerful glasses, was, we could see, bordered at last by a range of great mountains, 
looking like a blue line pencilled across a northern distance. To the east and west the plain seemed to be illimitable. Obviously its soil was of a most fertile character, and supported numbers of inhabitants, for everywhere we could see their kraals or villages. Much of it to the west, however, was covered with dense forest, with, to all appearance, a clearing in its midst. "'Behold the land of the Kenda,' said Harut. "'On this side of the river Tava live the black Kenda, on the farther side the white Kenda.' "'And what is that hill?' that is the holy mount the home of the heavenly child where no man may set foot here he looked at us meaningly save the priests of the child what happens to him if he does i asked he dies lord macumazahan then it is guarded harut it is guarded not with mortal weapons macumazahan but by the spirits that watch over the child and he would say no more on this interesting matter. I asked him as to the numbers of the Kenda people, to which he replied that the Black Kenda might number twenty thousand men of arm-bearing age, but the White Kenda not more than two thousand. "'Then no wonder you want spirits to guard your heavenly child,' I remarked, "'since the Black Kenda are your foes, and with you warriors are few.' At this moment our conversation was interrupted by the arrival of a picket on a camel, who reported something to Harut which appeared to disturb him. I asked him what was the matter. "'That is the matter,' he said, pointing to a man mounted on a rough pony who just then appeared from behind some bushes, about half a mile away, galloping down the slope towards the plain. "'He is one of the scouts of Simba, the king of the Black Kenda, and he goes to Simba's town in yonder forest to make report of our arrival.' "'Return to Camp Macumazahan and eat, for we must march with the rising of the moon.' "'As soon as the moon rose we marched accordingly, although the camels, many of which were much worn with the long journey, scarcely had been given time to fill themselves and none to rest. All night we marched down the long slope, only halting for half an hour before daylight to eat something, and rearranged the loads on the baggage-beasts, which now, I noticed, were guarded with extra care. When we were starting again, Marut came to us, and remarked with his usual smile, on behalf of his brother Harut, who was otherwise engaged, that it might be well if we had our guns ready, since we were entering into the land of the elephant Jana, and who knew but that we might meet him? Or his worshippers on two legs, I suggested, to which his only reply was a nod. So we got our repeating rifles, some of the first that were ever made, serviceable but rather complicated weapons that fired five cartridges. Hans, however, with my permission, armed himself with a little purdy piece that was named Intombi, the single-barrelled, muzzle-loading gun which had done me so much service in earlier days, and even on my last journey to Pongoland. He said that he was accustomed to it, and did not understand these new-fangled breech-loaders, also that it was lucky. I consented, as I did not think that it made much difference with what type of rifle Hans was provided. As a marksman he had this peculiarity. Up to a hundred yards or so he was an excellent shot, but beyond that distance no good at all. A quarter of an hour later, as the dawn was breaking, we passed through a kind of neck of rough stones bordering on the flat land, and emerged into a compact body on to the edge of the grassy plain. Here the word was given to halt for a reason that became clear to me so soon as I was out of the rocks. For there, 
marching rapidly, not half a mile away, were some five hundred white-robed men. A large proportion of these were mounted, the best being foot-soldiers, of whom more were running up every minute, appearing out of bush that grew upon the hillside, apparently to dispute our passage. These people, who were black-faced with fuzzy hair, upon which they wore no headdress, all seemed to be armed with spears. Presently, from out of the mass of them, two horsemen dashed forward, one of whom bore a white flag in token that they came to parley. Our advance guard allowed them to pass, and they galloped on, dodging in and out between the camels with wonderful skill, till at length they came to where we were with Harut and Marut, and pulling up their horses so sharply that the animals almost sat down on their haunches, saluted by raising their spears. They were very fine-looking fellows, perfectly black in colour, with a negroid cast of countenance, and long, frizzled hair which hung down to their shoulders. Their clothing was light, consisting of hide riding-breeches that resembled bathing-drawers, sandals, and an arrangement of triple chains which seemed to be made of some silvery metal that hung from their necks across the breast and back. Their arms consisted of a long lance similar to that carried by the white kender, and a straight cross-handled sword suspended from a belt. This, as I ascertained afterwards, was the regulation cavalry equipment among these people. The footman carried a shorter spear, a round leather shield, two throwing javelins or assegais, and a curved knife with a horn handle. "'Greetings, prophet of the child!' cried one of them. "'We are messengers from the god Jana, who speaks through the mouth of Simba the king.' "'Say on, worshippers of the devil, Jana, what word has Simba the king for us?' answered Harut. "'The word of war, prophet!' What do you, beyond your southern boundary of the Tava River, in the territory of the Black Kenda, that was sealed to them by pact after the battle of a hundred years ago? Is not all the land to the north, as far as the mountains, and beyond the mountains enough for you? Simba the king let you go out, hoping that the desert would swallow you, but return you shall not. That we shall know presently replied Harut in a suave voice. It depends upon whether the heavenly child or the devil Jana is the more powerful in the land. Still, as we would avoid bloodshed if we may, we desire to explain to you, messengers of King Simba, that we are here upon a peaceful errand. It was necessary that we should convey the white lords to make an offering to the child, and this was the only road by which we could lead them to the holy mount since they come from the south. Through the forests and the swamps that lie to the east and west, camels cannot travel. And what is the offering that the white men would make to the child, prophet? Oh, we know well, for like you we have our magic. The offering that they must make is the blood of Jonah, our god, which you have brought them here to kill with their strange weapons as though any weapon could prevail against Jana the god. Now give to us these white men that we may offer them to the god, and perchance Simba the king will let you go through. Why? asked Harut, seeing that you declare that the white men cannot harm Jana, to whom indeed they wish no harm, to surrender them to you that they might be torn to pieces by the devil Jana would be to break the law of hospitality, for they are our guests. 
Now return to Simba the king, and say to Simba that if he lifts a spear against us, the threefold curse of the child shall fall upon him and upon you, his people. The curse of heaven by storm or by drought, the curse of famine, the curse of war. I, the prophet, have spoken. Depart. Watching, I could see that this ultimatum, delivered by Harut in a most impressive voice, and seconded as it was by the sudden and simultaneous lifting of the spears of all our escort that were within hearing, produced a considerable effect upon the messengers. Their faces grew afraid, and they shrank a little. Evidently the threefold curse of the child suggested calamities which they dreaded. Making no answer, they wheeled their horses about and galloped back to the force that was gathering below as swiftly as they had come. "'We must fight, my lord Macumazahan,' said Harut, "'and if we would live, conquer, as I know that we shall do.' Then he issued some orders, of which the result was that the caravan adopted a wedge-shaped formation like that of a great flock of wildfowl on the wing. Harut stationed himself almost at the apex of the triangle. I, with Hans and Marut, were about the centre of the line, while Ragnall and Savage were placed opposite to us in the right line, the whole width of the wedge being between us. The baggage camels and their leaders occupied the middle space between the lines, and were followed by a small rear guard. At first we white men were inclined to protest at this separation, but when Marut explained to us that its object was to give confidence to the two divisions of the force, and also to minimize the risk of destruction or capture of all three of us, of course we had nothing more to say. So we just shook hands, and with as much assurance as we could command, wished each other well through the job. Then we parted, poor Savage looking very limp indeed, for this was his first experience of war. Ragnall, however, who came of an old fighting stock, seemed to be happy as a king. I, who had known so many battles, was the reverse of happy, for inconveniently enough there flashed into my mind at this juncture the dying words of the Zulu captain and seer Mavovo, which foretold that I too should fall far away in war, and I wondered whether this were the occasion that had been present to his foreseeing mind. Only Hans seemed quite unconcerned. Indeed, I noted that he took the opportunity of the halt to fill and light his large corn-cob pipe, a bit of bravado in the face of Providence for which I could have kicked him had he not been perched in his usual monkey fashion on top of a very tall camel. The act, however, excited the admiration of the kenda, for I heard one of them call to the others, "'Look, he is not a monkey after all but a man, more of a man than his master.' The arrangements were soon made. Within a quarter of an hour of the departure of the messengers, Harut, after bowing thrice towards the holy mountain, rose in his stirrups and, shaking a long spear above his head, shouted a single word, CHARGE! End of chapter 10